Hi, and welcome to Migration Patterns. Today we're talking to Ilvi Hosens, who is a PhD student in Vancouver at Simon Fraser University. Originally from Belgium, she moved to Canada on her pursuit of her PhD in forensic psychology and law. Her research focuses on the intersection between mental health and the criminal justice system. Ilvi and I met when I lived in Belgium and we became friends. Imagine how delighted I was that she wanted to give Canada a shot. Welcome, Ilvi. Thanks. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's so nice to be able to do this with you. So what do you think about when you think of home? Um, a, a few things now. Like I was thinking about this question because you you ask everyone kind of the same intro. Uh, and I was thinking of home on the one hand as a place where you belong. And on the other hand, a place that allows you to become so like a place of becoming and when I think of a place of belonging I'm thinking about the place where I can be myself um, where I can be loved and accepted understood but also where I have deeper roots Um, and for me that's in, in many ways that's that's still Belgium in the sense of family and friends they're home for me um, I oftentimes have an opportunity there to not speak, uh, but still be understood uh, or to not have to explain things and still be forgiven. Um, yeah. And, and, and to me, that is, that is Belgium, but I also have a wonderful husband who traveled with me to, to Canada. Uh, and he's kind of been my home away from home, my piece of Belgium, uh, and that sense of belonging his support, but also our shared history means that I can kind of feel at at home in that sense, wherever I am. Uh Um, And then when I think about home as a place of becoming, as a place of growth, uh, I have to say that that that's more Canada for me. Or well, well, maybe not Canada, BC, Vancouver. Uh Um, Because it's allowed me to, to challenge myself to grow. Uh, but also to, to capitalize on on talents, on opportunities. Um, and I feel like that's what BC gave me that I felt that Belgium couldn't uh, at that time. So it's a place where I can like experiment to start different paths without necessarily being expected to behave according to a template, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so it's it's sort of morphing that you're caught between two now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because when we leave uh, Vancouver for Belgium, we say we're going home. But when we leave Belgium for Vancouver, we kind of say the same thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, it's almost like home is that you carry it yourself now, maybe a bit too. I don't know. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like in, in between those two places because I, I think I'll always identify as Belgian but I'm pretty proud to to be a little bit Canadian to, to kind of have that that as a catalyst to to becoming like this next person or this next stage of life or this next phase. I guess in regards to phase that was uh, you're moving into a different educational phase um, 
you were a trained psychologist in Belgium, and then Mm -hmm. um, what interests you in pursuing forensic psychology? I I guess I I was always interested in it. Like I did my um, my practicum in Belgium in partly in forensic psychology, but at that time there really wasn't a specific training program or even a certification program. So I just thought, you know what, I'll I'll do my best as a clinical psychologist, and then along the way I'll pick up forensic skills by working in forensics. Um. But that that just didn't feel su- sufficient, or that uh-huh. I, for for me I, I didn't feel like I was doing the population justice because it is a really like a very complex population and the stakes are pretty high, right? Uh, working in the in the criminal justice system. Um. So then I um quit my job. <laughs> quit my job. Uh, I went to pursue further education in a neighboring country um and that was forensic specific and then after that they gave me the opportunity to finish my degree um by doing an international um research and clinical rotation and that's kind of where where i decided or around that time i decided you know what i want to reach more people uh and research is definitely the way to go Um, and in that way, a PhD was, was the logical next step. Although I was, I was pretty scared to make that next step. (laughs) Yeah, it's a, it's a huge step, but it's really exciting. So, uh, I guess to help all of our listeners, um, what exactly is forensic psychology? Is it sort of like what I'm seeing on Mindhunter on Netflix? Um... (laughs) I think that's what most people think it is. So making criminal profiles and um, profiling prolific offenders. But that's not it. (laughs) Um, Okay. No, no. And that's also not an empirically validated part of of psychology or of forensic uh, uh, social sciences. But forensic psychology broadly is anything that has to do with psychology and um, mental health and law. So that goes from uh, correctional psychology, so people in prisons and jails, over people with mental illness that are found not criminally criminally responsible on account of mental disorder, um, to people that aren't... Um, that aren't arrested or charged or sentenced. So maybe uh, like challenging family situations, including family violence, domestic violence, stuff like that. So it's a a pretty broad field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so typically would uh, forensic psychologists be employed by the justice or the legal system or hospitals? Uh, Both, both. So... You could be employed by um, the courts, either Crown or Defense, uh, because Canada has an adversarial legal system. You could be employed by uh, the government uh, or a health authority, or you could go uh, independent. You could have a private practice and still conduct 
assessments for court um, or see people like outside of uh, an inpatient facility or an outpatient facility? I've been trying to wrap my head around forensic mm-hmm. psychology before our interview because it's uh, it's it seems very um, broad scope <laughs> and complex with um, the people who are involved and mm-hmm. and I guess what's possible, but maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit for me because I feel a little hazy there. Yeah, for sure. So what we do is um, on the on the one hand hand we can provide therapy um and that's kind of your well i guess not your standard but the standard modalities of therapy so for example cbt where we work um to help people identify maladaptive thoughts um behaviors uh, and emotions that that uh, flow from those and that's cognitive behavioral therapy, correct? Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. And that's used, well, it's kind of become mainstream uh, for use with depression and anxiety. Uh, but that's something that, as a forensic psychologist, you would you could use as well for uh, offense-related thinking, for example. Um, and maladaptive ideas around that or attitudes around that. So we do therapy with people involved um, either with the criminal justice system or involved uh, with violence as either victims or offenders. Uh, And then we also do psychodiagnostic assessments that could be for inpatient or for court. And for court, that could have to do with um, helping the judge uh, make an informed decision about sentencing provisions, for example, or... um, could have to do post-sentencing with identifying an appropriate diagnosis. Um, And then uh, a very specific piece of forensic psychology is violence risk assessments. Um, And that, quite quite briefly, that is basically an estimation of risk factors involved with a chance or the likelihood of someone becoming violent in the future. And then on the flip side of that, what types of interventions we should use to help that person live a nonviolent or a non-criminal life um, after the assessment. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. You mentioned your doing research is the way to reach the most people with forensic psychology. And um, how is that? Is it like still quite a... a burgeoning growing field is it a burgeoning field um it's it's been it's been around for a a while for sure um but in the last i want to say the last three decades there's been a lot of movement in forensic psychology and that to me makes it quite a young field so there's still a lot of myths a lot of misconceptions Um, about mental illness and violence, for example. Like a lot of people think people who are diagnosed with a mental illness are necessarily more violent than uh, people in the general public. And that really isn't the case. There was like a Swedish study that came out in the 2010s. I don't know exactly when, but in the 2010s. And they calculated that only 5% of um, violent crime 
in in the in society can be assigned to people with or attributed to people with um, schizophrenia spectrum disorder. So that's hmm. well, not to be too um, I guess too curt about it, but that's 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 very little, right? We know that factors like substance yeah. use, prior history of violence, um, and for example, antisocial uh, personality disorder. Those are definitely more tied to to violence risk and violence potential than um, than just serious mental illness. So those are things that people still think and. Um, there's definitely a call like from within our field to do some or to think about some public education and uh, an awareness campaign so that we're not just publishing and writing for like like minds. As you moved into um, studying and researching, um, I was curious about what kind of challenges you've encountered um, as an international student in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um I think the there's there's a few. <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm trying to think about um, about which which ones uh, to tackle. If there's any specific order, some of the ones that are like top of mind here in Alberta, anyways, are like um, we have like the international mm-hmm. student fees. There's also like isolation and loneliness sometimes because you're in a different culture. And um, mm-hmm. those are two big ones that I encounter mm-hmm. a lot. But. So in terms of, um, I guess in terms of funding and, and finances more, more broadly, um, that's definitely something that that's, that's challenging. Like there's no, there's no way around that really. Um, like if according to where did I read it um, there's like a Canadian Bureau of International Education and they put out like an infograph recently where it said that in 2018 Canada had close to half a million international students uh, across all levels of education Um, and from a graduate student perspective, there really isn't a ton of uh, a ton of national funding or a ton of Canadian funding for for incoming international students. Um, it's it's a it's definitely a topic of, of conversation in in my university in terms of what we can do about it. And I think uh, the program that I'm in at SFU has has made the fees equal for international and um, local students or permanent residents. Mm. And then you're also on a like a student visa, right? So does that make it difficult to have a part-time job if that was even feasible with your time frame? How does that work? Mm-hmm. Um. So the government has uh, has found a little bit of a workaround there, and that's that's very nice. <laughs> um, we get, uh, or at least I guess, when you're a Belgian, I don't know if it's if it's across oh. the board if you're a student, but at least as a Belgian international student, uh, you get a work permit attached as well. 
Um, that being said, some programs restrict or most programs probably restrict the time you're allowed to work. And I'm, I'm also left wondering what, what it means. So having to work to sustain yourself in, in, in any way, I'm kind of left wondering what that means in terms of quality of life on the one hand, Mm. but also in terms of potential contributions of international graduate students, right? I, I think for, yeah. for many of us, if you want to do grad school right, you have to approach it as a, as a full-time job. Um, and that becomes so, so challenging when, yeah. you, when you have to take on another full-time job or even another part-time job, of course. Um, and I think in... In the field of psychology, uh, that's true for clinicians. That's true for researchers, because it's it's a, it's a challenging job. It's a challenging job to train in, to grow in, um, and you can you could really use all of the immersion and reading time you can get at an early stage in your in your training. Um, so we've been talking about that quite a bit, uh-huh. uh, just international grads that I know in uh, in psychology in general. Um, and at one point or another, you just you feel like you're playing catch up when when it really should be a foundational time. What have the I guess the benefits been for you studying? Um in two different countries mm-hmm. and has that uh, led to any breakthroughs of any sort or I think it's on a, on a more overarching on a general level I feel like my my cultural awareness and my understanding of different pushes and pulls um in different cultures and for immigrants has grown exponentially. Um, I've, I've always been cognizant of, of the, of the challenges and sometimes even the struggles of, of, of immigrants in my own country, uh, well being Belgium. Um, but you never, you never really appreciate it until you're going through a little bit of that yourself. And I'm saying a little bit because I'm a white middle-class female and the majority of people that are seeking access to our country um, are not white, are not middle-class. So they're dealing with, well, tenfold the struggles that you might be dealing with as just an international student, right? Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely deepened my, deepened my empathy and deepened my understanding for, for how challenging that might be, how you can live in two cultures and how you can truly, truly miss kind of that piece of belonging. But that doesn't mean that you're not very grateful and appreciative for your new culture. So that piece of becoming, right? Um, and that was something that, that um, here and there, 
I heard uh, Belgians struggle with. Well, if if Belgium is so bad or if you're having such a hard time, why don't you move back? But that's not that's not part of the debate. That's not part of the issue. That's not the intention of expressing um, appreciation or noticing differences or um, or giving a little bit of feedback, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I've had that conversation a couple of times. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's almost like it's okay to be sad yeah. and miss something. Uh, and it doesn't mean that it's a critique on the place you are now. No, no, for sure. But I think sometimes Canadians can kind of take it that way. Maybe that's a broad stroke. Maybe it's just me. (laughs) Believe me, Belgians can too. (laughs) Belgians can too, for sure. Um, But yeah, so that piece, I think, given, given the fact that I studied psychology, that I was a trained clinician before, it, it, it wasn't foreign to me, the duality, internal conflict. But having gone through, having gone through that a bit myself, it just it it just increases my my awareness of, of how how this works and what it means and what it doesn't mean. And what it doesn't mean is um, an attack on anyone's culture or anyone's identity. It's really kind of just figuring out. Or negotiating your new identity. Yeah. yeah. Right? Definitely. So what are your goals for the future going forward in your career and living in Canada? Well, if I'd have to say something to make it so, um, I would I would love being in academia. Uh-huh. Uh, I love teaching. I love learning. Um I, I, I definitely love research, setting up a bunch of studies and seeing them come to fruition. Um, and yeah, in terms of living situation, I think I'm a little bit careful in that respect because I know that being a young uh, person that wants to get into academia you kind of have to be flexible. You have to be able to go where the market takes you. Uh-huh. You have to be able to go where there's a good offer and a good fit. Um, but I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind staying in Canada. That's good. I. That's good yeah, news. <laughs> that, that is good. That is very good. I've, I haven't seen too much of it. Like I've been to Toronto. I've been to Montreal and I've been well now in Vancouver I've done a little bit of our Alberta uh, with Banff and Jasper um but I I love I love the people I love the diversity the nature um and the type of life you could have here um I think it really resonated a lot with my husband and me that this is a very permissive culture so in terms of there, there isn't as much a focus on failure as there is on opportunities for growth or oppor- opportunities to learn. Oh, 
Um, and everyone's timelines are a little bit different. They're in flux. People can have two or three career careers in a lifetime. Um, and that makes you feel quite free. And that sort of ties in on a off off air discussion you and I had. You had mentioned to me that you have experienced a different type of freedom here in Canada. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. It we have a saying in Belgium and well maybe that's international now as well. Um but Belgians are born with a brick in their stomach. Oh. Uh <laughs> and what that means is <laughs> it's nothing bad. <laughs> Um, yeah. What that means is we kind of have this drive to build and own our home um, and kind of have that uh, white picket fence mentality. Ideally, right. before you're 30, or maybe that's shifted now, before you're 35, you'd, you'd have it figured out. Uh, and the focus then is on maintenance maintenance of a, of a lifestyle or uh, leveling up less so on when you're 40 having to figure it out again um, mm. there's a an example that that we give um, that we give well friends in Canada or other other countries is if you're if you go independent, like if you'd go into private practice in Belgium and you'd, um, it wouldn't be working, like you'd either have to go back uh, to like an employee status or you'd have to declare bankruptcy. That would be considered quite a big, a big failure. And that uh -huh. would very likely follow you um, in your your informal bio in the conversation that people have about you. Uh, huh. in, in Canada, much less so. It's, it is more considered as, you know what, what have you, what have you learned? What are your take-home messages and what are you going to carry uh, to the future, your future endeavors? Um, and that, that creates a lot of mental freedom, like a lot of mental space. Are people returning to um, to school, graduate school, or even for a different degree at 35, 45, 60? That's that's such a luxury, and that's so much so much freedom. You don't have to know, and there's there's a bunch of people that don't know, or there's a bunch of people that knew and. Um, they figure out that that was enough of that, and then they move on. Change their mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. It's so refreshing to hear how other people experience a place compared to maybe if you're born here. Mm -hmm. I, that's. I was wondering about that actually a little bit, like when I when I was talking about, for me. Canada as my home of becoming like as my place of becoming I thought for uh -huh. a second well maybe I feel that way because I have expectations related to Belgium because I'm born and raised there but maybe Canadians have that restriction on them as well 
I think so. Um, I don't know if I think of Canada as my place of becoming. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, when I lived in Belgium, I think maybe that was my space. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just um, experiencing another place and a culture and getting kind of knocked to kilter of this isn't those choices weren't prescribed to me. It's not something that I have to do because there's other options. Exactly. And and maybe, maybe that is, it's maybe it's people growing up with you or you growing up with people and them not being able to, to see you in a different role. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, cause I think about, and again, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm hopeful that I'm not coming across as overly negative or overly positive either way. Um, oh. <laughs> but um, my my friends back home and my family, I don't think they'll ever take me serious as like a PhD level researcher. Because <laughs> they've seen you well, <laughs> playing. and <laughs> Yes, they have, well... I think it's difficult when they've seen you eat dirt <laughs> to right, be overly yeah. congratulatory when, when you publish a manual or a chapter or something like that. <laughs> um, totally. And I, on the one hand, I, I kind of like that. I like that um, I have friends that, that are able to to see through it. So I, I don't think I would want it any other way, but I definitely think I needed this new space and maybe it didn't have to be Canada kind of like you say just a place to to throw me off kilter a little bit uh-huh. yeah. um, and to play around with or to to emphasize different pieces of my identity nice I mm-hmm. think that's a, a perfect place to wrap up actually you just kind of put a bow on it for me <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking to Ilya Hosens. She's a PhD student from Simon Fraser University with forensic psychology. And this is Migration Patterns with Meredith Ratlin. Uh, tune in next time for some more insights into our identity and the places we live. See you later.